Morning, everybody. As, as Lonnie mentioned, if you, uh, you know, we, we used to, uh, we used to pass plates and with communion and offering and things like that. But lately, we, you know, with things being the way they are, we've just been putting them in the back on your way in. Uh, if you'd like to use that, you can. If you, if you did not come prepared to give and you'd like to participate in the ministry of the church, you can, or if you're joining us at home, you can use the secure online giving portal at cchmd.com slash give. Uh, the other nice little link that we like to share is cchmd.com slash connect. And that is something that everyone can do every week. Uh, it, it has taken the place of passing the clipboards around. It's kind of our way of, of giving you a chance to check in and, and our, we try to stay connected with everyone. So if you wouldn't, if you would uh, fill that out, go to the link, uh, you'll find from there, you can find links to all the other online services that we can provide. So uh, this morning, you are not important. I realize how that sounds. Stay with me for a few minutes, though. Okay. If, you're, if you're just joining us for the first time, either in person or online, uh, my name is David. Welcome. I'm not usually the one up here giving the message. Mike will be back next week with a, a new series for the month of October. No matter where you're joining us, uh, we'd love it if, to, to stay connected. As I mentioned, that, that uh, connection card at CCHMD dot com slash connect. Another thing that you can do to check in if you'd like more information about the church or if you want to introduce yourself is to go to, uh, you can pull out your phone, send a text, send the word new to 240-347-0897. The number is 240-347-0897 and uh, we get that text and, and we can help you and we can follow up. It's a great way to introduce yourself if you're just joining us for the first time. Risk is all around us. Life is a series of calculated risks. Everything you decide to do has a risk. Everything that you choose, no outcome is 100% certain. So we're careful about the risks that we take. We calculate them to keep them as the risk as small as possible. Playing it safe is comfortable. It makes you feel in control. It gives you a sense of security. But security is not the same as fulfillment. If you want to do something meaningful with your life, at some point, you must take a risk. Nothing of value was ever gained by playing it safe. The biggest risk is never taking any risk at all. German author Johann von Goethe said that the dangers of life are infinite, and among them is safety. Today, I want you to consider the possibility that God is in control. Now, if you agree with that statement, and I hope that you do, what are you willing to risk on it? What, what do you have right now, in this moment, that you would be willing to risk in order to do something meaningful to advance the cause of Christ. That's why we're here, isn't it? To advance the cause of Christ in our world, to win souls, to spread the gospel. It all starts with fear. Fear is the root of risk. If we are afraid to lose something, we hold on to it tighter. Fear causes us to imagine life with less than we have. 
What would life like be? What would life be like without our homes, without our jobs, without our friends, all the things that we hold dearest? Fear causes us to look. I'm sorry. Fear causes us to miss the potential in life. If I lose my job, maybe there's another job that I might be happier working. If my car finally breaks down, maybe I can stop throwing money into it and replace it with something more reliable. If I lose this relationship, maybe I find out that it wasn't so healthy in the first place. But when I'm paralyzed by the fear of loss, I stay blind to what God might be trying to do in my life. If I can only imagine life with less, I never imagine life with more. Let's look at an example. A well-known story from the Old Testament, the book of Esther. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 4 if you want to follow along. The, I'll put the verses up on the screen. Uh, if, you, if you have a Bible, you want to open it up. Esther chapter 4. Um, I'll quickly summarize how we get here. Here's a girl who, because of a series of events beyond her control, finds herself chosen as the new queen of Persia. Now, just because she is queen doesn't mean she's in charge of anything. It's not that kind of queen. It's more like Prince Philip. She's the, she's the spouse of the power. There's no power of her own. She basically impressed the king because she was beautiful, and the king said, yep, that one, and that was that. Now, she lives in the palace as his wife, but he's a busy man, and this is not a proper marriage of equals. The king doesn't love her so much as he enjoys having her around. And if that situation were ever to change, there's no question about Esther's value in the eyes of the Persian legal system. In the meantime, Esther's people, Hebrews, have been living under Persian rule for a couple generations. You may remember the story of Daniel, where Judea was conquered by Babylon, and many of them were captured and enslaved. Daniel served in the court of the king of Babylon, the one who built the golden statue and had all those weird dreams. Until Babylon was conquered by Persia, and then Daniel continued to serve in the court of the king of Persia, King Darius, the, that was the one with the lion's den. Near the end of Daniel's life, the Jewish people were allowed to return home and rebuild their city and their temple, which you may remember from the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah. But not everyone returned. Now, the Jews had been scattered across the world by then, and they would stay scattered forever. In every city, every nation, there was a small community of Jewish people faithful to their God and their traditions living among the other cultures. And they were not always welcome. Esther's people faced persecution and discrimination for their faith. There were people in Persia who thought that the best way to deal with these Hebrews was to simply exterminate them. One of the chief proponents of this plan was a man named Haman. He was very close to the king. He was a trusted advisor. Neither the king nor Haman knew that Esther was of Jewish heritage. So when Haman puts his plan in front of the king and the king agrees, now we have a problem. 
And Mordecai, an older cousin of Esther, the man who raised her, sends her a message. In Esther chapter 4, we see a series of messages passed back and forth between Mordecai and Esther. He wants her to intervene with the king. This was a risk. Esther might have been the queen, but the king didn't put much effort into that marriage. When Mordecai sends the message to her, she reacts the way we all react when faced with a great risk. Fear. Fear for her home. Fear for her status, for her position, for her life. And this is the message that she sends back. The message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has but one law, that they be put to death. Unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives, but 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Some husband, huh? 30 days? Hasn't even seen her for a month. And unless he asks her to appear in his court, even the queen isn't welcome to appear uninvited. If Esther takes the risk and goes to the king without his permission, her life is on the line. Now, yes, there is built into the law a means for the king to show mercy. They learned that lesson with Daniel and the lion's den. So there is a way for the king to say, forget it, she's welcome. Doesn't matter what the law says, I, I give her permission in this moment. But that's understandably rare. The king doesn't like to be interrupted. And it's been a month since she's even seen him. And her life is on the line. She's risking, or she would be, if she does this, she would be risking everything. And that's where we find ourselves today, I think, in that moment of fear. The world is uncertain. It's unreasonable to ask me to risk what little I have. I might lose it all. Besides that, I'm not in any position to make a difference. I don't have any real power. I can't change anything. I'm just trying to survive until the pandemic is over, until the next election until the next paycheck. God is going to have to find someone else. I can't do anything. That's what we think to ourselves when we're shown the chance to take a risk. I, to give up our, our resources to help someone else, I, I have so little. To give up our time to improve someone else's life, I'm so busy. To be vulnerable, make a connection with someone, Someone who needs to know Christ? That's just too much, that's too much effort. I can't handle that sort of emotional stress. God is going to have to find someone else. I can't do anything. I don't have enough to risk this much. Mordecai has some words for us. He, writes a, uh, he sends a note back to Esther. He says, do not think that because you are in the kid's, king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Excuse me. If you remain silent at this time, 
Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. That's probably a bit more familiar to you than the verse before it. (coughs) Excuse me. For such a time as this. We quote that often. We, we, we quote it to each other uh, in order to encourage each other, right? For such a time as this. But we sort of take it out of the context of the message. Mordecai is it's not actually being very encouraging here. He's scolding Esther for her fear, right? for her selfishness. We like to imagine when we read this that Mordecai is reminding Esther that God is counting on her. That, that she is an important part of the plan. We like to imagine that God has worked out all the details so that Esther would be in this position to influence the king at the right time to save her people. Right? After all, eventually, after, after the Messiah has come, and it's time to spread word of Jesus Christ to all nations, well, it's going to be a good thing if there are pockets of people who already know God in each of these nations and cities. That's going to really help the church grow one day. This must be part of God's plan. God works in mysterious ways. But that's the fairy tale version of the story. In fact, Mordecai is telling Esther that she's not special. That God doesn't need her to save his people. If Esther will not rise to the occasion... If she refuses to take the risk, God has other plans. God always has other plans. God is infinite. He has an infinite number of plan Bs. And those plan Bs are all infinitely and equally good. Mordecai says, if you're not willing to do this, God's people will still be saved without you. He says that to Esther that, that her, her father's family, her father's house, meaning her, her family heritage, will perish. I had some trouble with this until I looked it up. I thought, is he, is he telling her she's going to die? But the, the Hebrew word that is translated as perish it, it is only found in, in, the New, in the Old Testament in other places related to words talking about nations who, will, who won't last, uh, cultures that will be lost to history. Right? It means. Uh, the same word, it's not the same word as to die or to be killed. It means they're going to be forgotten. Their, their legacy will be nothing. That they will disappear. And at this point, you, can, you probably, if you, even if you've never heard the story, I think you can probably guess which decision Esther is going to make. Because here Mordecai is saying, if you, if you don't rise to the occasion, you will be forgotten. <laughs> And, and we actually have a whole book here in the Bible with her name on it, so that didn't happen. Esther might not think she has any power. But God specializes in using people without power. God loves to lift up those who think that they don't have anything to offer the world, to show his glory through what he can do with them. But the first step is the scariest. The first step is the scariest. When we are faced with this opportunity to take a risk, 
right? to, to have great gain, to, to win something for God, to impact the world. It's so much less scary to stay in our lane and live our lives. So what does Esther choose to do? Well, if you, uh, if you remember the story from Sunday school or Veggie Tales, you might think that she goes right down to the king's inner court to talk to him. But that's not what happened. Now, first, Esther sent back another message. Sends another message back to Mordecai. She says, go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa. That's the capital of Persia at the time. That's the city they're in. Gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. The book of Esther is sometimes given a spotlight for the fact that, and you might not have ever known this, God is not mentioned specifically in this book. You can go through it if you like. Uh, not now. It's too long. But uh, God is not mentioned in this book. And the point of this, I believe, is to emphasize how God works through people. Uh, rarely does God work with big, flashy miracles. God's work is behind the scenes. It's underneath the surface. Notice here that Esther doesn't even say, pray for me. She says, fast for me, with me. It's more than simple prayer. If, when someone says, pray for me, you, know, you get that text one evening that says, you know, um, my sister's in the hospital. And you pray for me. And we text back, thoughts and prayers. Right? Or even just a little hands emoji. That's quick. It's over in a moment. And it's, it may well be genuine. Right? God hears our heart. It takes less time to pray a thought than it does to speak it. But this is more. This isn't just prayer. This is dedicated, committed preparation for what she's about to do. See, when, when Mordecai reminds her that God is not depending on her, it's actually she who needs to be depending on God. She responds with courage. She responds by committing to her choice, right? Three days, I'm going to prepare. Right? I'm, I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to get distracted by any of the things that I think I need. I'm going to focus on God and his power. There's a certain freedom that comes from knowing that it, all, that it doesn't all depend on you. There's a, there's a weight that gets lifted off your shoulders when you know that it's not riding on your efforts, that you are not important. Even knowing that failure may cost us everything, if we know that our goal will be carried on no matter what, then we can stand firm. Stand in the, in the reassurance that God is bigger than our risk. God is bigger than our mistakes. 
God is bigger than our failure. So we pray and prepare. See, if we can't mess up God's plan, if it's not all in our hands, if he's not depending on us, then we're free. Free to serve him without fear. Right? Free to take the risk, knowing that even if we fail, God won't, that God can't. It's not about us. It's not about our, our risk. It's not about our glory. It's about having an opportunity to be a part of something greater. See, we have fear, and God has a plan. And we think that, that we can't do enough, and we're right. When our fear submits to God's plan, everything we could never do, God can. Three days. She fasts and prays, knowing that she is about to be part of something big knowing that the risk is massive, feeling the fear of that risk with every passing minute. In the moments of fear, when we are called to do something outside of our comfort zone, the first steps are always prayer and prepare. Prayer, then prepare. Are you afraid? to give what you can't afford to lose? Are you afraid to waste your time on a hopeless cause? Are you afraid to, to lose a friendship because they rejected your message? Prayer and prepare. Esther's last message wasn't just to Mordecai. It was to all of her people. Pray with me. Prepare with me. So that in the moment when I take the greatest risk, I know that I'm not alone. You are not alone. It's not all on your shoulders. You are not important. There's a certain freedom in that idea. Right? As if in the moment when we have everything to lose, we have nothing to lose. Story, uh, story goes of a, a, a preacher who was walking in the city late one night, and he was, he was robbed. The man put a gun on him. He says, give me your money. The preacher said, young man, I have something much greater than money to give you. He says, I don't want to hear about your faith, right? Aren't, I, I, will, I will end your life. And the preacher said, son, you can't threaten me with heaven. You can't threaten me with heaven. In the moment when we have everything to lose, we realize we have nothing to lose. Esther finished her message like this. When it is done, meaning the fasting, what she was just talking about, when, it, when the fasting is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. 
She's not afraid anymore. I don't know exactly what happened here between uh, verse 15 or verse 14 and, and 15 and 16. I don't, I don't know exactly what happened there. All we get is a recording of the message that was sent. And we don't, we're not told how long she sat on that message and, and agonized over it. But somewhere in between Mordecai reminding her that God is not counting on her, it should be the other way around. Somewhere in between that and her message back, she's not afraid anymore. There will never be a reason for her to be afraid again. Because now she understands that it's not about her. She has people in her corner, and God is in control. No matter where you find yourself in life, that's the beauty of the gospel. God can use you where you are. No matter where that is, it's it's not about you. It it doesn't depend on your efforts, on, on your work, on your goodness. You can be powerless. You can be damaged. You can be hopeless. Doesn't matter. God can do something with your life where you are. God wants to do something in your life where you are. There's a a freedom that comes from letting go. Knowing that you have people in your corner and God is in control. Let me pray for you. God, remind us every day, whenever we need it, that that you are in control. Uh, That we have a team, that we have a family, people who will pray and prepare with us when we take the greatest risks. Give us that courage uh, to step out on faith. To disregard the fear and instead lean on your power. Thank you for that greatest gift, knowing that we are free in Jesus. Knowing that it's not about what we have to bring to you. It's not about our efforts and our goodness, but it's simply your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy that gives us life. Thank you for that, and we we pray for that courage in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to keep connected with us this week, uh, you can, again, go to the connection page at cchmd.com slash connect. If, if something has changed for you this morning, if you want to talk about taking a, a step out of fear and into God, text the word LIFE to 240-347-0897. We want to be in your corner today. Have a great week.